Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to The Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for a nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation, discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and... This is Agnes. So, without further ado, The Girl Taku today will be about more underrated anime. I know we've done an underrated anime topic before, but to be honest with you guys, there is so much anime out there. Not helped by the fact that around like 60 or 70 is coming out like per season. A lot of the really, really good ones tend to fly under the radar, and there tends to be a lot more than one would expect in that sense. So... Because of that, we want to just go ahead and highlight some more underrated anime, or at least anime that we've really, really liked and felt like it was really underrated and don't think people remember it or even talked about it, even when it was airing, to sort of spotlight them again. So, you know, hopefully people will check them out. So with that being said, Isabel, you are the one starting us off this week. So uh, what are some new other underrated anime that you'd like to put a spotlight on for the listeners and for us as well? Yeah, the first one I like to start off with is an anime that aired. It's kind of older now, so I at the time I don't think it was underrated. I think it was quite popular, but because time so much time has passed, I think it's underrated now because almost no one talks about it anymore. Mm. And that is darker than black. Ah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. I I really like seeing that, so I think it's a good time to maybe bring it back up and then people who've already watched it or haven't seen it yet, I think it would be a good time to just revisit it just because I revisited it recently and I I totally forgot exactly everything that happened and I forgot how much I really like the series overall. Um, and even the fact that I didn't know there was more seasons and even like an OVA, like I only remember seeing season one and thinking that was that and I didn't know there was more stuff um, that came out afterwards. Um, but it seems like both of you have watched the show already, is that right? No, I didn't actually watch the show. I just knew of its popularity back in the day. I tried to watch it, but I think it just fell off my radar. Oh, okay. And what about you, Gracie? I did watch it, and you're right. I do remember it being quite big and popular amongst the anime community then, but I feel like no one knows about it now, so it's a good point you've made. Yeah, it aired in back in like 2007, and I think it's still watchable. I don't think it, it's uh, kind of like outdated with the animation style or anything like that. Granted, I think the backgrounds are kind of bland, but I think that fits in with the series altogether. Um, and Darker in the Black kind of feels uh, a little bit like a kind of a mystery type of series, but also like a, a kind of like a thriller, I would say, and definitely a lot of action. And what I like most about this series is that the main character, Hay, he kind of is, um, he's working under this syndicate that um, gives him things to do, and usually it involves killing people. And the, in, the whole series is based in Japan, but there's this phen phenomenon, kind of like Blood Blockade Battlefront, where there's something happens and there's this space that's weird for them, so they call it like Hell's Gate. And people who are affected by this, um, some people uh, ended up having powers. And so the people who have these powers are called contractors. And Hay is one of these contractors. And there are a lot of other contractors that well, as well have, that have powers. His power is being able to control electricity. So in some instances, he's very, I would say, kind of 
ruthless in how he <laughs> murders people. Um, but he, the thing about contractors in this series is that they are not supposed to have emotions. Uh, so it's kind of like him going up against other people that may be working for the government or things like that, or even research communities, because they don't know anything that's happened past this blob of space that humanity has built a wall around and no one can go into that space because it's um because it can kill them so they kind of have to go go in with like hazmat suits and things like that but for the contractors it's kind of a special place for them or it can kind of make them feel weird or different uh, because they get these powers from them and the other thing that's really interesting is that when they use their powers they have a price to pay i always found that interesting in the series where the characters would have some type of power like super wind or being able to kind of um, make people either turn things to stone or throw like ice. It could be anything, honestly, but they have a price to pay, which is kind of weird. Like one person's price to pay was like after they killed the person, they had to turn their shoes upside down. Or another person had to like put rocks in like a row after they used their ability. Otherwise, if they don't do that, then they can't use their ability. So I thought that was a really uh, interesting part of the series, and I wish, uh, and I think it's also a good series to go back to, just because there's a lot of mystery behind each section. I, each episode, each segment is like two episodes each, kind of like a short story of Hey being um, involved in some type of mystery, and the police also trying to catch him, but they can't catch him either. And also the fact that astrology is all in this as well. Because every time a contractor uses their ability, um, the police are able to kind of like contact their astrology department and like ask um, what star was glowing at this moment. And so they named these stars too. So I thought that was really interesting. I haven't seen anything like that in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on it. Uh, Gracie, do you remember anything that you've seen about it or... Any feelings that you had towards that series? Mm -hmm. I do because Darker Than Black is what un is what inspired my undying love for assassins. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> unlocked achievement unlocked. Okay, <laughs> yes, tell us the story, Gracie. This is the root of it all, and I know a lot of people will be surprised because they're like, "Weren't you obsessed with Naruto and like Kakashi since like the beginning of days?" And it's like, yes, but. They never felt like assassins to me because it's, it's no, almost they're like... they're just loud ninjas in colorful suits. <laughs> they're they colorful. <laughs> they felt more just like, you know, part of an organization of like, uh, you know, soldiers to be more precise, really, but specialized soldiers for that matter because they... That's just how the system works in the Naruto world. So I never associated like them with assassins, but darker than black being a contractor who specifically works for this deep underground syndicate organization that we don't really know anything about who gets orders and just gets his job done. And a lot of times it's killing people like this was it. <laughs> this was the start of it all. I became obsessed with assassins after that. I am still very obsessed with assassins. And in fact, I, um, a lot of my joke characters I've created are almost like 
essentially they're kind of like fan fiction, but not really because it doesn't take place in this world at all. But it's always like, oh, there's a guild and it's like a whole assassin organization and like the main character, la 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 sort of thing. I call these my joke characters because they're not real novels or real plots or anything like that. I just use them for fun and just like making up little random like short stories and stuff like that. I don't use them for like anything more official in regards to my writing. But regardless, yes, this I do remember this anime quite well because this anime is what inspired my whole like deep obsession with the whole like dark assassin world and stuff. And I've never basically been able to let go from it. So I think it's really just the aesthetics of the assassins as well. Like they genuinely felt like I mean, they're more like mercenaries because, you know, they don't always kill. Sometimes their job is to do something else per se, but a lot of their job is to do with killing and so because of that, it's just like I just associate assassins with it. And specifically that aesthetic has really carried along with me to even nowadays when I think about assassinations and stuff like that with any sort of syndicate or guild or like whatever. So that is the long answer to yes, I do remember it. And yes, it has had made quite an impact on me in this regard. Um, and I like how you mentioned the stone, like, you know, they have to put like five stones in a row sort of thing in order to use their powers and stuff. Because funnily enough, that actually was one of the things that remained clearest in my head and my memory. Mm. I don't know why that stuck out to me so much, but I distinctly remember that scene where that character crawls out of the water and he had to quickly put those rocks in a row or else he was going to be in trouble and he couldn't use his powers anymore and it was like a really dire situation and I think maybe that scene stuck out to me so much because it's kind of stupid like quote-unquote stupid in the fact that you know putting rocks in a row just seems silly but it was actually life determining at that moment because he because without his powers he, he could get killed very easily and so I think that's why it just stuck in my head really clearly but yeah darker than black is really good I do remember it very well and all the sort of assassinations and like the um the missions that he has to go on stuff like that of course you know without expectation without um anyone's surprise I was also crushing on the main character because he's all mm, edgy electric and Batman <laughs> And he's an assassin, so to no one's surprise in that regard. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's basically uh, that's basically um, uh, what I remember about Darker Than Black. But it was very good, and I and I think you're right. I think the animation and the style still holds very strong even today. So yeah. Okay, so if that is your first underrated anime, then uh, what is another one that you would like to point out? Yeah, another one I like to point out just because in recent years we've had a lot of uh, kind of like cute anime like uh, Spy Family and more recently the one that we're, that's airing right now, Buddy Daddies. Uh, and so I wanted to go over Poco's Udon World <laughs> that aired in 2016. I remember that! Okay, mm -hmm. yes, I remember that, yes. <laughs> I saw that. I, this one's very cute because um, <laughs> when I... When I first uh, saw the title, I just thought, oh, this is going to be a food anime about udon, right? Maybe I'll learn about udon. Yeah, the anime has nothing to do about udon or food. Really. <laughs> it's about this guy named uh, Sota. He's very relatable um, for us, I feel like now, just because just I think he's like 30 years old. He's like a web designer. And um, he meets this Tanuki kid uh, who who appears when he goes back to his hometown because he has to um, kind of take care of things after his father has passed away. His father is the one who ran this udon shop. 
um, in kind of like the countryside. And it's kind of like a story of him meeting uh, Poco. I think he was, Poco was in like one of the udon barrels or something where they hold things and, you know, he didn't know what to do with him. uh, And he felt bad if he just let a little kid just, you know, uh, stay outside or things like that without anyone to care for it. So he goes ahead and take care, takes care of Poco, and he's trying to keep a secret from everyone that Poco is a tanuki. And surprisingly, um, Poco is able to. Usually, obviously, he his natural form is to be in tanuki form, and it kind of looks what tanuki is. If our listeners don't know, it's kind of like a, I would say like a raccoon type of a dog. Um, I don't know how exactly to describe. It. I haven't seen one um, ever, but. It's, it's supposed to hold some type of kind of um, spiritual um, meaning to tanukis, at least in Japanese history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I don't know too much about that. Did you know? They're like know? notorious mm-hmm. shapeshifters. Yeah, they're known as mm-hmm. pranksters. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're also seen as uh, figments of wealth. So you can have like a tanuki statue in mm-hmm. front of some Japanese stores, but it's only because it's uh, it's related to the fact that it's uh, it's like it's very huge. So that's a different connotation. Um, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's mainly because it's a uh, a prankster type of yokai. Oh, 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 and you know, in a more modern context, um, Tom Nook is a tanuki. So <laughs> putting that out there. Mm. Oh, from Animal yes. Crossing, yes, because you've you, you've been starting to play Animal Crossing. Yes. <laughs> that just reminded me. Of- when you just talked about pranksters and stuff like that, I, there's this, I think it's a Tanuki type of character in Genshin. When it oh, pops up in yes. Game. Um, uh-huh. what's, what's, what's the character? I, I don't play Genshin, but I know what exactly that character looks like because I have too many friends that play Genshin. So Yeah, or like when I'm walking around the world, it starts playing music in front of me and try. it's like joking <laughs> with me, like, hey, come and catch me. And I'm like, you're so annoying. Like, I follow it and it won't do anything. That's a Tanuki. Oh, it's a, it's, it calls itself the, the Bake Danuki. Oh, no wonder. Yeah. I've been meaning to look up how to catch those because I'm very annoyed by them when I play the game. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, uh, Poco's very playful as well, um, overall. And, you know, he doesn't really know anything about human life. So there's a lot of things that uh, Sota has to teach him. And I feel like it's just a very heartwarming uh, type of anime where Sota, he left the udon shop telling his dad, kind of like the typical story of a uh, child rebelling against the parent going to Tokyo, you know, um, to become a web designer, um, and then coming back. But then he also, when he came back, he kind of has these regrets or things that he said to his dad, when his dad kind of just wanted him to take over the restaurant um, and continue the udon business, right? So I think with him interacting with Poco and kind of raising quote-unquote raising his own child i like the way that he puts in one he's like talking to his friend and he says like yeah or his friend's like oh you have a kid to take care of now and he's like yeah i feel like i just skipped the marriage part and went into parenting instead um and so just like learning little things like fishing or kind of going to uh festivals and things like that i think is very cute overall so yeah i think it's very different from having a parent who's maybe like a spy or things like that and in other series that we see now so Sota's like kind of like your regular type of guy who might might really his story is really believable and then also just kind of that interaction with other people that he has that he remembers or the townspeople remember him and they also make fun about his accent as well because when he went to Tokyo he kind of lost that accent 
but then when he comes back, all his friends are kind of making fun of him for it. And he's act like, you know, throughout the series, he kind of gains it back and kind of learns about himself and then also has to take care of Poco, obviously. Um, but yeah, and then, and then I don't want to spoil the last part, but I think it's very cute. Like they actually had kind of like a connection with each other before, even before he left Tokyo. So that all comes in like a full circle uh, for that show. But yeah, uh, those are my thoughts on it. Um, I, I think Gracie, maybe you've seen it or Agnes, have you heard of it at all? Or Nope, never heard of it. I only saw the, the poster, but I don't think I ever watched it. Mm-hmm. So this is all very new to me. Good picks, though. Maybe I'll pick them up. <laughs> uh, so I have watched it, and I left it incredibly, quote-unquote, angry because I was not expecting the last episode to make me cry <laughs> the way it did. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, I, I, it really upset me because literally everything up until the last episode was really sweet and wholesome and just gives you warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, a thing that is also in the series is specifically, like Isabel said, the main character, he um he had an estranged relationship with his dad at the very end after he rebelled against you know inheriting the udon shop and like went off to the city and stuff like that but unfortunately he never was able to fully like um you know mend it and by the time that he Mm -hmm. was ready to mend it his dad had passed away and so um so there's that is like a large theme to the story in which uh Poco, which he named very much like on the fly <laughs> like he did not have a name ready for this kid yeah. so um but this Tanuki kid but uh Poco kind of helps him through with that because obviously there's a lot of guilt coming from him knowing that he could have mended the relationship but he wasn't able to before time was up essentially so uh so there's that involved as well so yeah overall it's really cute it's really sweet uh one thing i really liked as well is the fact that um the main character has an older sister and she kind of struggles with kids and it it was slightly um you know it it kind of hurt her self-esteem or i mean it made her insecure in that regard because especially since you know, she is the woman and on top of that, she's married and, you know, she does plan to have kids and her, you know, and people around her are expecting her to have kids. She kind of struggles with Poco. She like will lose temper a little easier than the main character. Like there was one scene where uh, Poco was eating sloppily, like melting ice cream. And she basically snapped at him and was like, you need to clean up and everything. And that like caught Poco really off guard. And he immediately like looked really sad because, you know, a kid got yelled at and a kid's going to feel upset when that happens. And um, and the main character instead was just like, you know, like he's he's going to mess up. He doesn't have like the best, you know, he's not versatile yet with his limbs because he's a little kid. It's like you just need to you don't need to yell at him or snap at him. You just need to tell him that sort of thing. And it's like, and that was a whole part of her arc too, is figuring out, you know, am I quote unquote worthy of being a mom if, you know, I'm naturally not really sort of clicking with kids, despite the fact that my brother, who is a guy of like, you know, which once again, there's this underlying assumptions that women are better with kids and men aren't, but very much her younger brother is very easily good with kids. And so, um, so that part I also really liked as well. So there's a lot of good things about it. I just... Just be forewarned, the last episode was, to me, really emotional. <laughs> it made me cry really, really badly, and it made me upset. And I was just like, I'm never touching this anime ever again <laughs> because I felt Aww. so betrayed. So. <laughs> but it, it is really good, and I'm glad that you pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, the last few episodes were really good, I felt like, too. Um, 
I think I felt emotionally moved. I didn't think I would. I think I thought maybe it'll just fizz out or something, but I think the ending was well-deserved for it. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, then in that case, I believe it is your turn now, Agnes. So what other underrated anime would you like to spotlight for this week's episode? Uh, okay, so the first one that I want to talk about is semi-recent because the movie came out, I think, within this year or last year. But the series that I wanted to highlight was uh, Laid Back Camp or Yuri okay, Camp. Okay, yeah. Only because, like, I I typically, a lot of listeners know, like, I typically don't prescribe to the cute girls do cute things shows. And I stay away from them as much as I can. But I really like the premise of a bunch of high schoolers basically just getting together and doing a really cool outdoor activity that's not something that you would typically do, like, on school grounds. And that has always really appealed to me because I grew up camping a lot with my family. And so watching Yuru camp, seeing all these girls get really excited about camping, and then also learning, like, actual like camping tips and like survival tips also kind of spark like an inspiration like I want to do camping again you know um and there's actually a trend that's been going around YouTube quite a bit of now a lot of adults doing like what they call bushcrafting which is going out in the woods building your own like log cabin or learning like survival skills to live out in really cold or really hot temperatures and then you also have a lot of now female YouTubers uh, in Korea and Japan who go camp to do what they call solo camping. And so that has really inspired me to try to do something like that in the future. Um, and I just really like the whole premise of Yuru Camp. And then in the movie, they also spotlight how the characters after high school are a lot older. They work at different jobs and occupations, but they still come together to try to find like a common ground to have an excuse to go camping again. I thought that was very heartwarming for a show that connects both the high school and the um uh the the working world um i guess like timelines um i i know that it's not super underrated it was fairly popular when it was airing but i feel like over the past couple of years now that we have more cute girls do cute things it's somewhat fizzled out as well it's kind of like in the same position as like a place further than this universe oh, where good. there's a lot of cute yeah. girls doing cute things now that was also really good too i also was like torn between the two of them because i was like a place further than this universe is like this grand adventure but i found yuru camp to be a lot more practical because at that point, anybody can do it. So as long as you go with the right conditions and you do your research properly, because like, for instance, there's a lot of things in Yuru camp that won't translate very well to American style camping and the types of camping that we do in America. But it's good to kind of get like a lot of tips and tricks of how they do things there and see if it can apply in America too. So I thought that was really interesting. So you mentioned earlier that you do remember it being quite popular, but you felt like the popularity has gotten less. Do you think it has to do with the fact that perhaps like even with the movie announcement and stuff like that, you didn't really see people talk about it anymore and stuff? Yeah, it was mostly that people weren't talking about it anymore. It's kind of like the same scenario. I think Encouragement of the Climb was also another example too, where it was semi-hyped because there was you know cute girls doing cute things but then after the series ended it just like dropped dramatically and no one really picked it mm, up afterwards. I see I see okay and I guess Isabel you know you've seen Laid Back Camp right? I actually haven't. Wow! It's on the list but yeah I just feel like I don't know maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong I just felt like 
it's might be like a slower type of show and it is definitely mm-hmm. slower it's not anything like super high action pack like darker than black right <laughs> it's compl- two completely different types mm-hmm. of stories but if i liked it i actually rewatch it a lot on my free time uh when i'm like at work during lunch breaks or when i'm at home and it's just kind of nice to just get tips i think that's my personal take just because i have a personal connection i was going to ask as well because you know i'm not surprised that cute girls doing cute things this sort of like slice of life anime really isn't your style like knowing you i that what doesn't surprise me at all but is it really just like camping it being the main topic is okay oh yeah it's like pure camping topics like they talk about so rin is the main protagonist she's the girl with the pink hair in um yuda camp and she's like a total newbie at camping she doesn't know what camping is she just moved to this new town but this new town has lots of camping spots around mount fuji and she meets nadeshko nadeshko has the blue hair who is like this true solo camper does everything by herself buys all of her equipment so the entire show is about Rin, Nadeshko, and a bunch of other girls trying to figure out, like, how do they camp? Um, how do they save up money to buy camping materials? Because camping materials are very expensive. Like, you go to uh, an REI store, like, in the U.S., that type of stuff can cost up to, like, $100 more, right? Or if you go to even a lower sporting goods store, like Big Five, even then, like, good shoes, good gear is also very expensive. And they talk about the tips and tricks of, let's say, how to... Uh, create a fire starter for your campfire the most famous one is like using Mm -hmm, pine cones and then like how they need to also like prepare themselves for camping because there's there's one segment in laid back camp where the characters go out to a really popular um a really popular spot for camping but they didn't anticipate that the weather actually gets extraordinarily colder at night so they almost froze to death um, and they didn't know that until one of their supervisors of their club realized where they were going and basically like drove her way out to their spot and scolded them for telling them like you guys weren't prepared for what you were doing. And the worst part was is that all of their phones died because it was so cold and their oh. batteries stopped working on their phone. So it was actually like a very like harrowing point, not to the point where it's like survival of the <laughs> this fittest. This is now the Hunger Dr. Games. Thing. <laughs> This is not Hunger Games, right? But it was like a very big reminder that even though camping seems fun, it can also be dangerous and you have to take a lot of precaution while doing something like this because you're not going to be surrounded by the comforts of, of modern worlds. It's like the same thing if like if you go camping like in Yosemite or you go camping like in the neck of the woods, like if you go to um, the mountain ranges in America, especially the, the Appalachian mountain range in East America where it can get you, there's people that die on the Appalachian Trail a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why the, there is like a, a slightly moral part about Yuda Camp, but otherwise it's just very educational. Dude, forget <laughs> like just dying on the trail. I specifically remember when my family, and this is when I was, this was, this was the age before we had GPS on our phone. Like you would, like you would have oh, to have yeah. GPS yeah, yeah, on yeah, yeah, a gadget yeah. and <laughs> Trust me, my parents were stingy and did not want to pay money to buy a GPS gadget itself. So uh, so we were driving like past the Appalachian Mountain. There's like specifically like, you know, roads that go through it and stuff. And all we had was a physical map. That was it. And it was very gorgeous. Oh, yeah. so, like that's without question. It looked really gorgeous. But the sun was <laughs> setting and there's absolutely no road lights through those mountains. 
and we haven't gone into like the small town that we were staying at and I distinctly remember this because both my mom and I were like oh this is gorgeous look at the sun like setting and how it lights up you know like how the surroundings look so beautiful and my dad was just like I can't look I can't look and he was like really angry at us because I think he because he was the one driving he was the only one who really had like an idea of how dangerous it's gonna be if the sun sets and we can't oh yeah so see that's like another example of like traveling and like camping in a sense is like you have to know when the sun sets you have to know how long does it actually take you to theoretically get there otherwise you can be in big trouble and even then if you're driving to a small town, especially in the neck of the woods, even a GPS is not going to help you. you <laughs> That's <lose signal>. right. <laughs> so oh, the the most important the most important thing about camping is you got to learn how to read a physical map and you got to know how to use a compass. <laughs> yes. Those are like the two most important things because once your GPS fails, doesn't matter if you have a Garmin GPS, doesn't matter if you have a phone GPS. That shit is useless. Yeah, so that's like, so you say that, it just immediately reminds me of that trip because once again, my mom and I, we just didn't realize it. My dad was the only one who was like, we are in trouble <laughs> if the sun sets. <laughs> that's actually a pretty funny story, but also for your poor dad, I understand his frustration. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that usually has to do the navigation for my mom. So at one point, we did a we did a trip in New Mexico and we were driving up to Mount Tao. So it was like at the very top. There was like some some site that we wanted to see in like some really small town. But we actually lost GPS while we were up no. there on my phone. Thankfully, I had downloaded Google offline maps and I had a physical map in my hand and I was like comparing <laughs> oh the two god. to make sure we would get to that location. <laughs> oh my god. So very important, kids, learn your maps and learn your compasses, because if there's an apocalypse that happens, your phone's <laughs> not going to help you. Uh, all right. So if that is your first pick for one of the underrated anime you wanted to spotlight, what is your second one? My second pick, I think it comes as a really big surprise because I've always said, like, I'm not really interested in this show except maybe one part of this franchise. But actually, there's this other part of the franchise that I really liked, but I think was super underrated. No one talked about it after it finished airing. It is sort of online alternative gun game. Oh, you're online. right. I agree with that. Yeah. Did any of you guys watch the show? You agree to that? What about you, Isabel? Did you watch it? I did not watch it, but I okay. heard people did like it, though, who watched it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically... Take the Gun Gale online plot of Sword Online and make it less serious. And you basically have a really fun FPS game. <laughs> That's like the easiest way I can put it, if that makes that sense to you. That does not make sense to me because I don't play context. games. <laughs> That's okay. That, that's why I'm asking this to Isabel, not you. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> okay, cool. So it's actually a really nice story because there's a lot of moving parts of it. But the first part that I wanted to point out is that the SAO alternative, I'm going to make this short because the name already is so long, is written by the author of Kino's Journey. If anybody's watched Kino's Journey, it is a very well executed plot. There's a lot of themes and there's also a lot of guns. And the reason why there's a lot of guns is because the author of Kino's Journey and the author of Sword Art Alternative Online is a big military gun buff. His pen name is Keichi Sigsawa. It's composed of two parts. Keichi, the first name, is inspired by his favorite manga hero, who is the Keichi Morisato, who wrote Oh, oh My Goddess. Okay. People should know that name. It's actually very like popular. And then his last name, Sigsawa, um, so suppose that the last name Sigsaw was actually inspired from a firearms manufacturing company called Sigsaw. So he's actually a really, he's actually a guy that really loves guns. And so in SAO Alternative, 
all of the characters are involved what they call squad jam which is basically an fps uh match based like game so like think of like team fortress or like valorant um where you pair up in like a bunch of squads you try to take down other squads in the meantime um and the characters that are in this series is karun uh, is karun Ko- kohirumaki or in game she's known as len um in real life she's like a super tall japanese university student who's like whose height actually towers most japanese i did women, not so know that like five, seven and up. <laughs> I- I only you didn't know, know that her. while watching the series. I only it's know like, her, from, like the, her character in the posters, which looks really short. So when you said she's super tall, I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, she's actually. So the whole premise is that Karen or Len is actually very insecure about her height. She is super duper tall. She's like five seven plus, which is not typical of Japanese uh, women of of her like of her immediate surroundings and she was very insecure about her height overall and interacting with people because she looked intimidating and so she tried to join um the you know like the the virtual world like mmos as an escape but the only reason why she couldn't get into it so much was because each game that she tried to play would always create her avatar as a really tall avatar because the you know in like sao it kind of like reverts you to similar characteristics that you would have in the, your real life like how asuna and kirito look like asuna and kirito in real life right yeah. um and so she was really frustrated with that and it wasn't until that she got to gun Gale online did was there a mode that basically randomized her appearance and she got this tiny cute short avatar and she was absolutely thrilled she loved it she was like finally i can live my short oh girl my life dreams and being quote-unquote normal and so she was wearing all these really cute girly things like that's why her character is pink she's all in pink she decides to set all her stats to max speed and totally was unconcerned about the game overall but she ended up joining the squad gem, which is like the like I said earlier, like a team fortress or a Valorant, and creating sort of a rivalry friendship with a mysterious woman named um, Pitohui, who convinced her to actually play squad gem. And so for the the rest of the series, it is Len teaming up with a bunch of other people who become part of her squad. So she has a, a sniper named M, who's actually really smart and very tactical and strategic. And then she also has her best friend in real life who introduced her to MMO RPGs, who's a grenade launcher, an artillery master. And they just basically wipe all the squad gems to try to catch up with Pitohui, who at the end of the story turns out to be a very famous figure who also kind of like airs out her frustrations within game. So... It's just a very fun, creative show overall that sets it apart from SAO, doesn't take itself seriously. But it uses a lot of tactics and strategies that's really interesting in-game that you would typically see in a lot of shooter games. And there's also a lot of presence of military because kind of like how in the US we have um, laser tag, you often see a lot of military people play laser tag too on their spare time. It's kind of the same way that they had in SAO alternative there's a lot of teams that are based off of like the Japanese defense force so they would like sit in formation they would wait right so it's really fun to see it all play out in real time and in an anime that doesn't take itself seriously but unfortunately it did fall off a lot of the radar because it's SAO nobody really cares about SAO nobody wants to watch SAO or fans don't really care about the spinoff because all they're just concerned about is seeing uh, uh, Kirito being a badass with his uh, his wife Asuna and the rest I of the I was about to say, I think too. this came out right when SAO was super hated. You know, like, it's like a weird trajectory yes. where it's like it's super yeah. love and then it was super hated. And then 
it was like, oh, actually, it's fine. <laughs> you know, that's what and I feel like that's where we're at right now. I was like, oh, actually, it's fine. But it came out right when it was super hated is my feeling, at least. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it was like super hated back then. But then people weren't super receptive of picking up something that wasn't even written by Reki Kawahara. Um, and they didn't realize that it was being written by the guy that wrote Kino's Journey. So everyone just like basically brushed it off. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very fun and quirky and very different from the SAO. What uh, made you pick it up? Was it like, how did you find out, I guess, that it wasn't the same author? Or is it because somehow you found out it wasn't the same author, you decided to pick it up? <laughs> he actually makes a camo in the anime. Oh, okay. Oh. So... They they mention in the the actual so it's really funny because Keiichi basically self inserted himself into oh his my own gosh <laughs> in a very convoluted way so they mentioned something about I don't remember what the specific was but they mentioned how there is a guy who helped create the original Squad Jam event and that was him and he's actually kind of like featured as like a a, a slightly overweight man who gets like really excited about gun Gale online so that was the one thing that i got really my interest like oh he self-inserted himself and then he also seems to know he also seems to have a really strong grasp of all of the world itself and the guns and the tactics so i went and looked at him up on wikipedia and lo and behold he is also the author of kino's journey oh. <laughs> so that's when everything clicked Oh, I mean, I can't speak to it because I didn't watch it. And I mean, I wouldn't have watched it anyway, regardless, because, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, it's not it's not your it's not your speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about you, Agnes? Uh, well, not Agnes, sorry. What about you, Isabel? <laughs> I mean, you've heard of it. So were you interested in it when it, like, came out or anything? I think my main concern is that I thought maybe it would be too tied into the SAO world. But nope, knowing that not it's a at spinoff, all. so it's basically something I can watch separately without... Absolutely. Anything it's something else. you definitely watch. Absolutely. There is no mention mm -hmm. of Kirito or um, uh, the Asuna sniper girl from... No, no, no. The other girls. Uh, oh. Sinon. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, there is like no mention of them whatsoever. There might be like one or two slight mentions because they are quote-unquote like famous in Gun Gale Online for the, the stuff that they did in a different arc. But they are they never did the, the Squad Gem event. They did Battle of Bullets, which mm -hmm. is a separate event. Battle of Bullets is more of like a dual standoff between individual people and squads versus Squad Jam is like actual teamwork type of games. Wow, that's kind of cool then. Uh, the fact that yeah. you can watch it without being involved in SAO or even if you didn't know anything, you could totally watch it separately. And especially if you're into gaming and like FPS games. It sounds yeah, pretty fun yeah, it's overall. it's really refreshing, and that's why I was like, "Oh, this is really nice." It's not even related to Sao. I had to see Kirito's ugly mug. You know, oh, wow! Kind of <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see Kirito's ugly mug. He just makes I'm me really irritated. Curious, like, why did they name it Sao then if it's so separate? It's because it takes place in the same universe. Okay, I see. Because the Sao alternative, so Gun Gale Online is Sao Season Two. Do you remember that, Gracie? SAO Season 2. Uh, oh, 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 okay, okay. Now it's clicking for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so SAO Season 2 takes place in a video game called Gun Gale Online. Mm -hmm. SAO Alternative is just basically characters in that same game, but playing a completely different game event. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I understand. But they all they all play the same game. That's it. That's really it. But they, they play in two separate events and don't ever interact with each other. Okay. That makes more sense now. 
All right. Well, uh, that. Thank you for that. Um, anyone who is interested, who have like written off SAO, I have heard that it is quite different from SAO, and um, and we got to interview the uh, voice actress for the main character. She was really sweet and really really nice. So that's another little point I wanted to add in regards to anime trendings tie-in with uh with that particular anime. Alrighty then. So I guess that just leaves me in regards to underrated anime. So. Uh, the first one I would like to talk about is Kids on the Slope. Have any of you guys heard? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so that's Agnes one. has seen it as my guest. What about you, Isabel? I've heard of it. I haven't seen okay. it, though. Mm-hmm. So Kids on the Slope was one of MAPPA's early days anime before they became known as the big shonen anime adaptations. They were adapting other sort of stories that were not the ones that you would expect to go popular. And so Kids on the Slope is one of them. And it is specifically about um, a small town of people, and I believe this is after World War II, and when jazz was starting to get really popular in Japan. And it follows a group of people who are essentially building a, or getting, um, creating a jazz band. But it isn't like Bolchi the rock style where they form together really quickly and then it's um, and then it's just their shenanigans afterwards. Uh, there is a lot of internal conflicts and drama that was involved before they formed because there were um, because the main characters didn't get along at first and there was also a love triangle involved as well. And um, and in fact, there's even like some politics involved. One of the older characters who uh, who's sort of like their um, senpai I guess but he's not in high school per se he gets involved with a political group back then which is an actual political group in Japan but a political group back then who um, were involved with some more not so savory activities that he also got involved in so it's it's a whole thing packaged into a jazz story but Regardless, I think it is extraordinarily well done. Um, there is a concert in particular in Kids in the Slope that was just like mwah, like perfect and beautiful. It, they they performed jazz and there's no talking, which I know is just insane because we are so used to any sort of concerts, any sort of like big moment to be filled with internal monologues and people going like, oh, OMG, wow, oh my gosh, and like making very obvious, <laughs> obvious remarks about what we're seeing on screen. But Kids on the Slope didn't do that. Kids on the Slope just purely focused on the concert itself. We don't hear anyone talk during that time. And it's just them performing and the instruments ringing. And it's like, and another thing that, you know, people would complain about a lot is like, oh, the use of CG, CGI when anyone's playing an instrument and stuff like that. And I understand why it was like annoying, why that is annoying and people kind of write it off immediately. And in fact, Kids on the Slope doesn't use any CGI. It is just like pure 2D animation of fingers, like, you know, going down on the piano keys and, you know, um, and the trumpet playing, stuff like that. But I guess like to pull it in really quickly, Kids on the Slope was also released during the time when anime wasn't coming out like 60, 70 series in a single season. So believe it or not, the animators actually had time to properly animate a 2D animation in regards to these um instrument playing that we just don't have the luxury of anymore because of industry reasons that everyone is very very well aware of so 
Um, but that's like the shining jewel for me in regards to that particular um, in, in regards to that particular series. But as a whole, I just think it's extraordinarily well done with a lot of historical context with, you know, um, uh, with sort of like this coming of age story with the two main characters, protagonists, and even the romance. Like I thought the drama behind it was really well done. And overall, I just feel like no one knows about it. I genuinely think no one knows about it, but it's and it's just sitting there, this hidden Mappa jewel in the old days of Mappa before it became known as the Mappa that we knew today. So that is my first pick in regards to the underrated anime. Uh, what about you, uh, Agnes? I think you mentioned Kids on the Slope before at one point. So I um, I might have, but I don't remember the episode where I mentioned it. <laughs> but yeah, Kids on the Slope was really, really good. I like the jazz a lot. The animation was also really good for its time, especially because you said that MAPPA was doing a lot of the animation on its own without all of its like new CGI that it's doing with like Chainsaw Man. Um, but what I also really liked about with Kids in the Slope is that it not only tackles jazz, but it also tackles a lot of the post-World War II tensions mm -hmm. that were going around in the area, especially a lot of the racism between, and the racism and the discrimination between, like, the Japanese people and the American people on base, and the fact that one of our main characters is actually mixed, and he is harassed quite a bit because he is mixed and the and that the three of them are kind of form like a ragtag group that try to do jazz together and i'm also really glad that the romance is not super forced into the show and that by the end of it they realized that they were not like suited for each other but they were okay with being friends at the very end of it after they all healed from like their all their respective trauma too mm -hmm. yes exactly and yes you're uh and that's what i was saying as well as i like the political uh, the historical context of it and i i need to look it up exactly which political party that the um that the older that the older guy the senpai of them um who i believe he plays oh gosh oh gosh what does he play the sax was it's Oh, that's a very good question. I thought he played the, the cello, but I need to. Ah, uh, gosh, I can't remember his instrument. But he played one of the other instruments, and his and that actually sent me into a Wikipedia dive because I had no idea that a uh, political party existed in Japan. Um, and then I learned a lot about that political party, and it was just like, wow, like things were things were rough back then. Even like even after they quote unquote stabilized after World War II, they weren't. There was a lot of internal things going on, and it was really I opening for me to learn about that as well so um so that was another reason why i really appreciated it and such like that but yeah so that is my first pick for uh underrated anime is kids on the slope and you know uh isabel have you even heard of it i'm like i'm curious because you know agnes and i have seen it but i just feel like so many people wouldn't know about it <laughs> yeah i think i've only heard of it like based on title um and maybe the fact that it was jazz but then i didn't hear or i didn't remember that i think i only remember it was kids on the slope i think the title is very uh it's very generic or it has that type of like older feeling to it but i i thought it was um i think the title is what stuck with me the most um but yeah i still have yet to get a shot so but yeah like you said i haven't heard of anyone else speak about it too much and so it's nice that you highlighted it in our episode today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, that does show the importance of getting a good title. Because <laughs> if the, the title is the one thing that Isabel True. remembers, uh, that is definitely the thing. So, uh, yeah. So that's really it is for uh, for Kids on the Slope. I love it. And it's an older MAPA anime. And I 
kind of wish that they would go back to that era, but we know that's not going to happen because Kaching and money. So with that being said, um, I will move on to my second one. And my second one is a currently airing one, but I know for a fact that it's just it's not going to go anywhere and it's going to be underrated for the simple reason of the fact that the first season did not do a good job of building a fan base. So um, just realistically speaking, you're not going to get people to know about you if you don't nail the first season and you just sort of are in middling sort of forgettable area. Um, but what but I mentioned this uh, actually quite recently, but I'm holding strong to my opinion on this is uh, Sudone specifically season two. Um, and Isabel, I know that you really, really enjoyed season one. So I know like, you know, I'm not speaking specifically about, you know, you're one of the ones who really enjoyed how it ended and how the series went. But based on my experience of watching the anime community, I distinctly remember when Day came out for the first season, everyone was super excited because, of course, it looks beautiful because it's the Kyoto animation anime. And I just watched the interest just drop <laughs> as the season continued. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think a big problem with the first season is that they didn't do a good enough job of integrating the supporting characters and making them complex. Because the issue is a lot of these supporting characters' complexities and three-dimensionality came out in the second season. <laughs> they weren't really present in the first. And so at the end of the day, uh, and I wrote about it in my official first season review, is that, you know, um, it had highs, but it also had very, like, stereotypical sports anime storyline lows, and which resulted in an anime that is extraordinarily middling and, in my opinion, quite forgettable. And it's, and I think it's quite obvious, too, because there's basically not a fan base for Sudane. The fan base exists, and it's extraordinarily, extraordinarily small. And to give you guys an idea of just how, like, quote-unquote basic the first season was considered... On TV Tropes, like the official website of TV Tropes, um, literally listed Sudane under the trope of it's so competent, it's boring. Like that's... that's yikes. Yeah. Big yikes. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what they named it. As in like it's got all the right spots, but the story, but the story was so bland and didn't stand out that it's just boring competency. And so, um, and it sucks because the second season is just a whole other beast on its own. So I'm going to do a quick comparison as to why I think the second season is just so much better than the first. I've already mentioned one of them, which is the fact that the supporting characters' complexities have really come out in the second season that was uh, really missing the first season because, my God, some of those characters were just character tropes <laughs> like we had like the we had the one that picks fights and gets e angry easily we had the pretty boy we had the one who's like super friendly and that's all there is to him and he's sort of like the glue holding everyone or he's the one who's like always gets upset when people are fighting with each other and stuff and then the main character and Seiya are probably the only two characters who are given any complexity in the first season but that's just not gonna do it in my honest opinion when it comes to sports anime is you gotta make sure all all your characters in your cast unless it's like a minor character but if it is a supporting character you better make sure that there is something more important to them than just fitting a trope that I can easily put them in a box in and so the second season finally finally addresses that and we get to see all the supporting characters in all their complexity um 
real hey the really friendly you know he's the nice guy he's the nice guy of the group we there's actually a reason to his nice guyness we actually find out that you know something bad happened to his older sister we don't know what it, what happened and obviously he's not going to share um but his older sister was so traumatized by something that she legitimately cannot leave the house and in fact, it's very rare for her to even leave her room. And so Ryohei, who is the younger brother, has basically been taking care of his older sister. And it's like, and there's these moments that are so, like, to me, it's like very loving, but also very sad in the second season. Like, he'll knock on his sister's door and tell him, like, hey, I'm leaving and stuff. And, like, don't expect his sister to say anything to him, to say goodbye, to ask, you know, to ask, like, how his competition went or anything like that. And there was this brief moment where actually his older sister surprisingly left the room, but she still doesn't say anything to him. She just drops, like, a piece of candy on his head, which is really her way of saying, like, good luck. But it really hits you that whatever happened was terrible that happened to her. And that's something that Ryohei lives with, and it really determines his kindness because of the fact that he understands that people are hiding hurt and he really wants to be sensitive and good and kind to people because of that. And I'm like, see, this is what was missing in the first season. But for whatever reason, they pushed all this complexity to the second season instead. I don't know why. I think it's a terrible decision to do that because once again, they've completely missed out their chance to build an actual fan base from this. So um, so that's like the um, so that's like the first thing I think it does better. The second thing that I think Sudanese season two does better is the genuine kudo because I I don't know why I left the first season not feeling anything towards the sport but I really really feel towards uh, the Japanese archery in the second season and they do something right whether it is the sound design um the uh, the sakuga people have even pointed out the fact that the sound designs are um the sound the sounds of like the shooting is like mixed into the literal soundtrack of Sudanay. And you can literally just by closing your eyes and listening to the sound of the arrow being released, you can tell who's releasing it. You know, it's real. Hey, or, you know, it's Seiya, or, you know, it's Minato. So, um, so, and I thought that was just a brilliant extra that they didn't do in the first season. And so, but whatever it is that they did with the sport itself, I felt a lot more connected to it in the second season than the first season. And as, and, you know, I'll even say like Mel, who is one of our, you know, um, anime trending editors and writers as well. He and I have very, very different perspectives. We analyze and look at things very differently. Agnes can speak to that personally whenever she sees like when our opinions clash in regards to articles. Um, because she- it's a, it's a it's a very interesting dichotomy to look at for the two opinions, and I'm like, hmm, which one do I need to actually consider for the article? <laughs> yeah, so you can attest like we have quite opposite views in regards to how we analyze stories. Very, very. Mel has a more technical view on things. You're more focused about like the story crafting of it all. right so sometimes they lead to very two very dramatically different conclusions for the article right and believe it or not mel and i are united on Sunday season two wow okay oh that is that is a that is very interesting i have not been editing any articles recently so that it comes off as a very big shock to me uh, actually um and yes and it was a shock to me when i thought i'm like mel and i are in the exact same spot in regards to how we feel about Sudanay. He 
absolutely loves Sudanay. And it's also been like upsetting or like disappointing for him to see that, you know, it hasn't been doing well anywhere. Like forget our charts, just anywhere. People haven't really been talking about it and stuff. There are like a small group of fandom people who are trying to get it more popular and they've been posting clips of it on YouTube. And those clips, you know, they're getting like 15,000 views at most and we know anime clips can easily reach up to the hundred thousands like even like even by non-official people it can easily reach up to the hundred thousands 15,000 is very very low in regards to viewership so um and it's it's just like I don't know why they waited until the second season to really pull out all the stops in regards to this particular story and this particular series and the themes with it I'm glad they did. I don't, you know, I'm so relieved I didn't skip out on it because to go back to the whole TV trope saying where it's like it's so competent, it's boring. That's exactly how I felt about the first season that I almost didn't watch the second season. But, you know, the second season is just 10 to 20 to 30 times better. It's beautiful. It's so well done. And I know it's going to be underrated because it missed its chance with its first season that was so middling. So, uh, so yeah, so that is my whole explanation and a kind of like a mini comparison situation as to exactly what happened that made season two so much better than season one. Um, and Isabel, you know, like, do you, have you started it yet? Like, cause I know you felt like you were satisfied with the end of the first season. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem I had. If I, I feel like if I, if there was I didn't, I really didn't expect a season two. Like when they announced it, I was like, no way. Like what, what is there to continue from that first season? Right. Um, and not only that, like you said, it kind of had only like a lukewarm reception other than the people who really liked the show. So I think that's the problem with the first season is that it was trying to balance kind of like the story and trying to introduce the characters. And I think the, maybe the dialogue wasn't like quick witted or kind of like really snappy, like we see in most series now. So it's, it was kind of like a slower paced and then um, the sound obviously is amazing but I don't think that was enough to carry the whole season and not only that to get someone to watch season two now you have to have them watch season one so yeah I don't know how that will go um, I still really want to see it though for sure I will see it soon um, it's just that I haven't had time for it but like hearing you talk about it and seeing the screenshots like I, I'm I'm also like trying not to see too oh I'm so sorry I, I don't want to be <laughs> so spoiled sorry. <laughs> yeah no I know you write things and I'm like I don't I don't want to edit it because I don't want to be spoiled <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry and then I know I asked you for screenshots as well I think a few weeks back or something you wrote something and I was like Gracie can you send me the screenshots I want to see <laughs> There are two sides to Isabel. She must choose. <laughs> the one that doesn't mm-hmm. want to be spoiled and the one that wants to see the screenshots. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh. Yeah, okay. But let me know once you start watching it. I think you will agree with me that it's just so much better. And yes, on the dialogue, I and that was once again part of my issue, is especially Kaito's dialogue is what killed me in the first season. It's just so generic, mm. like punk bad boy. I'm just like, come on, is there nothing else going on with him? Answer is yes, there's a lot else going on with him. We just didn't see it in season one for some reason. So. <laughs> um, this is- yeah, I think what I started doing was that I kind of saw it similar to Free, so I started putting characters together like Minato's like this type of character (laughs) (laughs) the curse of Kyoto animation (laughs) (laughs) 
<sighs> Alrighty then. So that sums up our additional underrated anime. I'm sure there is more out there. I'm sure there's going to be more out there as the years continue because it doesn't look like anime is slowing down. I'd appreciate it if anime slows it down a little more. Um, and I also appreciate it if like the production committees actually give the money that they're earning to the actual animator animators. But you know, what can we say about that? So uh, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening to us this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with us um, at our Twitter at girltaku underscore AT about any other uh, other underrated anime that you haven't heard us mission yet that you think that should be spotlighted as well. And so we'd be curious to hear your thoughts. So we will be back next week with another fun episode. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.